Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to First um, Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Glad you're here today. And everybody's here from different backgrounds, different places in life. Some folks have been married a while. Some folks have recently been married. Some folks, uh, you know, are getting married in the future. Uh, whatever it is, uh, you want to invest in that relationship. And in our marriage, it's our most important uh, earthly relationship, and it's worth in, in investing uh, in. Uh, remember, uh, probably 99% of the people that walk down a wedding aisle, they believe their marriage uh, is going to last. Uh, they love each other. And yet, uh, we're told 50% of those marriages fail. Uh, so it's obvious that it takes more than love and good intentions uh, to have a marriage uh, that lasts and that is good. And I uh, appreciate you uh, making the investment in your relationship. Uh, last week, uh, we laid the biblical foundation for our next to last subject, uh, handling our money better. Uh, disagreements on how to handle your money as a husband and wife, um, that's common. Uh, uh, the two things we all feel most strongly ab about, uh, how to handle our children, uh, how to handle our money. And so it's no surprise that the things that we feel strongest about are also the areas where we can easily have the sharpest disagreements and sometimes uh, disagree in an unhealthy way. Uh, remember, we spent three weeks on how to fight fair. And uh, this is an area where a lot of times people stop uh, fighting fair. And uh, there's no reason for that to happen. But last week, uh, we laid the foundation for uh, this subject. And in the interest of, of time, I'm not going to go over all nine things that I always start with. And I just want to plant deeply in everybody's heart. I just want to uh, remind you of the final two. Here's the first one. The marriage that you're in now is the marriage you're supposed to be working on. And number two, the person to whom you're married now is the person to whom you're supposed to be married. And uh, <laughs> those two things are more important than, than uh, you realize sometimes. Uh, as always, before we start our class, to answer a couple of questions that have been turned in or in some cases that I uh, carried over just because they're really, really applicable. Question number one, how does a wife who wants to tithe handle her husband who manages money and does not want to tithe? Um, the first thing I, I would say is that uh, make the issue a matter of prayer. Talk to your husband about it at a good time and in a good tone, um, like always. And then uh, follow your husband's leadership. Uh, minimally, uh, I would ask uh, to tithe on any income that you have. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not. Either way, uh, minimally, I would ask for that. And, um, and then follow your husband's leadership. You know, I, what are you going to do? I didn't make the husband in charge of a home. Uh, uh, God did. But I'll say this. Uh, most husbands, even though they might not like it at all, uh, will uh, defer to their wife's desire to tithe in her income, uh, even if he doesn't like it at all, if her life is something that really reflects faith because he will re recognize how important it is to you. Uh, question number two, how can you save money living paycheck to paycheck even after you're tithing? Uh, you can't. 
Uh, tithing uh, will not take away uh, all financial problems. Tithing does not make you rich. Tithing uh, does not take away bad uh, debt that you have. Uh, tithing makes you obedient to the God, uh, to the God who gave you strength to work, ability to work, and opportunity to work. Uh, tithing never uh, has promised to make anyone rich. All it does is allows God to bless your finances uh, as much as he is going to be able to bless them. Now, if you're tithing and not doing well on the 90% that you have left, I mean, you might need to take a look at how well your lifestyle uh, matches your income. Uh, you might need to take a look at how you've handled your debts in the past and uh, do some uh, a better job at managing that money. Um by the way, I, I never recommend anybody stop tithing. I have no authority to do that. Uh, I'm not the one um, who said to tithe. Uh, in fact, somebody turned in a question, should we tithe if it puts us further in debt with our bills? I don't have permission to tell anybody to not do anything God says. I have no permission to tell you not to tithe any more than I have permission to tell you that it's okay to, to hit your wife or to take God's name in vain when you're angry. I have no permission to do that. Um, what I will say, though, is this. Um, when God looks at uh, how he judges what uh, we do, he'll look at the whole picture. Um, but for me, uh, I would not want any kind of willful defiance in my life. Uh, I just believe that's the kind of sin that God is very intolerant of. You know, God understands that our frame is dust, and, and he knows that uh, the best-intentioned Christian, uh, you know, we, we fail all the time. But to fail when we're attempting to do what we should do and to willfully say, I will not do what you said, they're just two different things, and God handles them differently. Uh, question three, is it better to make extra payments toward principal or refinance your home? Should I pay off debt or save for retirement? Uh, you really need to get some specific counsel on, on those kinds of things because there, there's a bazillion factors in, in all that. I think everybody, uh, especially when you're young, you need to find somebody who's older than you, who's good at handling their money, uh, that you're comfortable with them knowing the details, to, to, to learn how to manage your money and, and ask them some questions. And basically what happens is when you've talked to them uh, a few times and learned some things, then you'll understand the principles and you won't have to talk to them very much. Um, to be honest with you, um, I would describe my wife and I as good managers of our money, but not great. Um, when people come to me for financial advice, uh, if they want good advice, uh, I will talk to them. If they want great advice, I send them to Joe Clawwitter uh, or to uh, Jeremy Sanders. And uh, I, my wife and I have been unwilling to do the things that you have to do if you want to manage your money super well. Um, some people are. Uh, but we haven't been, but, um, you know, and I'm not implying we mishandle our money, but there's just some people that are great at it and uh, get some better personal advice. Uh, last week, uh, we established, and, and if we have some time, I have some more questions at the end we'll, we'll get to, but I, I want to make sure that I take some time to, to teach some, some Bible principles because last week we talked about 
basically a biblical foundation for handling our money. Remember, we can never answer the specifics until we understand the foundational truths. Remember the foundational truths when it comes to our money? Uh, first, everything belongs to God. Uh, we're just stewards of his stuff. Uh, secondly, we demonstrate our faith and acknowledgement of everything belonging to God. When we give God the first tenth, that's why we do that. It has nothing to do with the Jewish law. Uh, it happened before the law. Number three, our heart will follow wherever uh, we choose to put our treasure. If you treasure your work, your heart will follow your work. If you treasure sports, your heart will follow sports. If you treasure your family and the things of God, your heart will be there. Our, our heart follows what we choose as treasure. And lastly, we talked about minimizing our debt and uh, guarding against bad debt, which gets us with that general foundation to some more specifics. should be in your Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. It says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with, with many sorrows. Uh, did you notice this warning in verse 9? But they that will be rich. Now understand the desire to be rich is at the root of much, what, of much of what drives our culture. And the desire to be rich is what drives far too many individuals. Um, there's a warning with this will to be rich, this desire to be rich. I'm not disputing the fact that God will cause some people to be rich. But chasing being rich and chasing God and ending up rich, they're two very different things. If you have this will to be rich, notice the warning. It says you will fall in temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and, and perdition. That's a pretty severe warning. People have done, said, and tried all kinds of things with their desire to be rich that have really hurt their lives. And that is especially true when we think about what I would call get-rich-quick schemes. And probably some people here, you've fallen for some of them. And you have lost money. And, and now you look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that. This desire to get rich, especially to get rich quick, destroys lots of people. Notice what happens in verse 10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Not the love of money is the root of all sin. That's different. Evil is a specific kind of sin in this this context. Evil in this context is willful uh, defiance. The word evil is used three ways in the Bible. This is the way it's being used here. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. That is a strong, strong statement. And notice what happens. If you love money and you have this will to be rich, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith. They've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's a lot of people who are away from the Lord Jesus because they loved money and they had this desire to be rich. Some point in their life they will look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Uh, for certain, someday when they face Christ and give an account of themselves, they will wish they would not have done that. But it's not just that they would err from the faith. It says they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here's a lot of broken marriages 
a lot of broken homes, a lot of devastated lives and hurt children because somebody made the pursuit of riches the focus of their life. And I just say to you, as we begin to think about the specifics of handling our money together, make sure that your overriding desire is not, I want to be rich. Uh, Now, I don't know what God defines rich as. It's kind of a little scary when we think about verse 7 and 8 that are linked with this comment. Uh, It says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, (laughs) let us be there with content. Now, I don't know if that means that in this context, rich is more than food and raiment. I I don't know. I I just know this, that very few of us are content with food and raiment. And um, most of the things we really think we need, uh, we really don't need. I I just spent a week. You you can't imagine how people live. Uh, A family of four riding on a motorcycle. Not uncommon at all. Uh, A pickup truck, people driving, and there's eight people in the back standing. Uh, Yesterday in in Managua, they had a truck, and it was stacked with bags of something, and a guy is sitting on top of the bags. He's above the cab in a small truck. I mean, all they have to do is stop once. He's in the street. I mean, that that kind of stuff and, and, and how... Uh, people live and what they get by on uh, is just completely foreign to to our uh, way of life and, and, and the way we look at things as Americans. And I, I'm just saying this, you, you know, seek God and you will always have enough. Amen. Seek riches and you're going to pierce yourself through with many sorrows. You're going to end up hurting some things and some people and that matter way, way, way more uh, and just let however your riches end up, let them uh, end up. You know, a lot of times we don't take this seriously enough. But you know the tenth of the most basic moral commandments, do you remember what it was? Thou shalt not covet. You know, we're really up to date on thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not steal. And, and yeah, those are part of the ten most basic moral uh, commandments. But you know, the tenth one of those is thou shalt not covet. And, and we need to be guarding ourselves all the time which really gets us to uh, where we are today, Uh, some more of the details of how, as a husband and wife, we can handle our money better, how we can handle our money together. Remember, our goal in marriage is not necessarily to think alike, it's to think together. How can we think together uh, when it comes to uh, handling our money? Go in your Bible to Proverbs 19. By the way, there's some really, really good people who are really, really poor handlers of their money. (laughs) Admire them, respect them for what they are that's good, but don't follow their financial advice. Or example. By the way, there's some folks who are really not all that spiritually minded, but they're really good with their money. Like so many things, it's a completely separate issue. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19 Uh, Verses 20 and and 21. It says, Hear counsel, receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Uh, Notice that's a method toward wisdom. Uh, 
James says, ask if you want to be wise. There's a method toward wisdom. Hear counsel, receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. If you want to have wisdom in the end, that's one of the ways you get it. Verse 21 says, there are many uh, devices uh, in the heart, in man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, uh, that shall stand. There's a lot of things man says in his own heart. Hey, this is, this is okay. But when it's all said and done, what God has said and done is going to stand. And so what I kind of want to do, and I've done this a couple other times in this, in, in this class on different issues, I'm more I want to sit across the table from you as opposed to, um, you know, teaching or preaching at you and just practically talk uh, about uh, some things when it comes to handling our money that um, my wife and I have learned from Scripture, uh, that my wife and I in some cases have learned the hard way, uh, and in some cases, uh, my wife and I have learned from talking to uh, other couples who were older and more seasoned and, and handled their money well. Um, because really, the question for this class is this. What should we do with our money after we've given the first tenth to God through one of his churches? That's really where we are today. Here's the first thing. Number one, the husband should select the most competent and available person to handle the money. Uh, the Bible principle from Ephesians 5, the husband's head of the wife. Right? Listen, brother, you need to be honest about your own skills and weaknesses. <laughs> and if your wife is better at handling the money, have her handle it. And then you follow the way she handles it. Uh, listen, I am not less of a pastor because there are people who have some expertise in some fields, and I delegate that to them and trust their expertise. You know, if your wife is better at you than handling money, put her in charge of it and let her handle it. Um, this should be somebody you both agree on. It should be somebody who's willing to work with the details. At least one person in your home needs to be willing to work with the details of this. Whoever handles your money, you have to be a detailed person. Not everybody is. Some people are not punctual. They can't pay things on time. Other people are not good at details. Some are not good at math. Some people are not organized enough. And some people are just not interested. And you need the person who's interested. They're detail-oriented. They're punctual enough to, to handle this. Uh, by the way, I always recommend having both people involved to some degree in case something happens to one of you. I mean, for years, my wife, uh, I had her pay the bills, and then I balanced the checkbook. My wife is not a good detail person. And um, I was always so busy that I would have not gotten everything done um, on time like it should have been. At that time in my life, I was not organized enough. And so that way both of us knew what was going on. I, I think that's a strong way to handle your home. You should both know what's going on. Let me ask you, who's in charge of the finances in your house? If the most competent and interested spouse isn't in charge of this, start there. What do I do with the first, after we've given the first tenth to God? Uh, put somebody in charge who's going to handle it well. Here's the second thing. Combine your finances. The biblical principle is that in marriage, two become one. 
Now, I have known a couple of people that I would consider to be godly couples who handled some aspects of, of their, their uh, money separately, but that's rare. Uh, that's unusual. It also violates that Bible principle. Uh, I personally believe separate bank accounts are unwise unless you just use them for holding places for money one spouse has uh, designated to pay. Um, Somebody turned in this question. Is it wrong for me to set up a bank account my husband doesn't know about if he uh, uses money uh, or Joan account to control me? Uh, He freezes the account when he's mad and he changes the password. See, see, by the way, some of you all don't realize that all the gripes you've got against your spouse, they're not as bad as you think. Um, This person, what you need to do, you need to make the issue a matter of prayer. You need to have a couple specific examples. Then at a good time and in a good tone, you talk to your husband about this. If your husband is going to be like this, you should have the passwords to your account. It's just that simple. But you need to talk to him when he's calm. Welcome to reality. I'm I'm not poking at anybody. Whoever this guy is, you know, maybe in other areas of his life, maybe he's a good guy. But in that area of life, he's not a good man. Pray for him. You need to begin in your marriage to foster this attitude of everything being ours. <laughs> or instead of this is your money, this is my money. That, that's a bad general attitude that you need to, to work around. And uh, by the way, in, in, when you have your money separate, there's some underlying problem of trust. There's some underlying problem. A husband doesn't trust a wife. The wife doesn't trust a, the husband. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There are special circumstances. I've known some people who are married to addicts. And uh, in those kind of special circumstances, you, you have to do some special things. But unless the circumstances are, are unusual, you, you should do everything you can to combine your finances and work together on this. Uh, it is really actually a difficult aspect of marriage, especially when you're first married, to come up with this attitude that these are our things. It's our money. Uh, someone asks, what do I do if my husband always considers the money our money until we're in an argument? <laughs> um, make the issue a matter of prayer. Pick a couple of clear examples. At a good time and in a good tone, talk to him about it. By the way, that's one of the, we spent weeks, three weeks talking uh, about how dangerous and bad it is if, if we don't handle ourselves well when we get angry and, and disagree. Uh, this is a difficult aspect of marriage uh, if uh, one person makes a lot more money than the other or if um, the wife stays home with the children. Um, when our, my wife stayed home with our children, she was home with them for 14 years, I made a really diligent effort. When I got paid, it was always our paycheck, our money. And I always felt like she was contributing to that. 
just like I was. She was just contributing it in a different way. I was getting financial compensation for what I was doing, and she was getting other compensation for that. We're a team of people. But this whole idea of, well, I you know, make three quarters of our budget, you only make one quarter, you know, that's a terrible attitude. And you really need to repent if that's the way your attitude, your attitude should be, this is our uh, money. Uh, neither spouse should make major purchases without discussing the issue and agreeing together. Uh, by the way, uh, major is different for everybody. You know, there's people in this room, and it's not major to you until you spend a couple hundred bucks. And there's other people in this room, it's major when you are spending 40 or 50 bucks. But whatever's major to you, those should be joint decisions. Uh, are you combining your finances? Are you combining your attitude about your money? Do you have a way to make major decisions? Here's number three, Proverbs 22. Minimize your debt. You say you said that last week. I know. (laughs) I'm going to say it again. Uh, Living within our means is, is one of the most difficult things that nearly all of us do. I mean, it's very difficult. But if you never learn to live within your means, whatever your means are, you will always have financial problems. Listen, there's people that make millions of dollars a year, and they can't live within their means. And then there's people whose family income is forty or $50,000 a year, and they live within their means quite well. Proverbs 22, 7, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. And, and like I said, I know we read that uh, last week, but I, I just want to bring it up because it's a really key issue. The less people or organizations to whom we know owe money, the less of a servant we are to those people and those organizations. By the way, I'm not talking about a Christian servant. I mean, in that sense, all of us are supposed to be servants. I'm talking about a servant in a bad sense. Now, in our country, debt is a major problem. And I really rather doubt from any of the things that I've read that debt is much better among the people of God than it is in the world. I have no doubt that there are a lot of people who don't give very well to Bible Baptist Church because they have so many debts. Uh, The worst kind of debt you can get is credit card debt. For the most part, credit card debt will be 15 to 22% uh, interest. And if you're here and you make the minimal payments, you might as well just go hit your head against that wall. Have you ever noticed how far you gain when you make the minimum payment? You gain nothing. Literally. You gain nothing. You, You are the best help to those credit card companies they could ever find. I mean, where can they get 15 to 22% on their uh, interest on their money? Uh, You need to be honest with yourself and recognize your weaknesses. If you can't handle credit cards, in other words, pay them off every month, don't have a credit card. Just recognize your weaknesses. Now, if you can control them, I personally, we put everything we possibly can on the credit card, and then we pay it off every month. 
Um, our credit card, I think we get 2% uh, cash back. Man, that's a great deal if you pay it off every month. But if you, you've got to recognize whatever your weaknesses are. If you can't do that, get rid of your credit cards. You've got to be honest with yourself. Uh, you need to be prepared to take the time to get your debt situation better. <laughs> Minimizing your debt, I'm telling you, is very important. You didn't get into debt in a day. You didn't get into debt in a month. You're not going to get out in a day in a month, but you can get out. Uh, recognize uh, your earning potential where you are in life. I'll, I'll let that sink in. For those of you in here in, in, your, in your 20s, you know what? You're not in your 50s. You know, you don't have as much spendable income. You've got to recognize that. You come out of a home that your parents probably had been accumulating things for, uh, in many cases, decades and had been in their uh, field a long time to get more income, if you don't recognize where you are in life, you're going to get bad debt. Be honest about where you are in life. How about this? Be honest about your real earning uh, potential. Now, there's some people, by virtue of God's gifts in your life and uh, by the grace of God, decisions that you made uh, between the ages of about 18 and 25 or 27, uh, and you have, you have a lot of earning potential. Some people, you don't have as much. Listen, if you have an income and your family income is $100,000 a year, you have more room to make mistakes than if your family income is $50,000 a year. You, you need to recognize what your income potential is and make your financial decisions based on that. If you continue to pretend like you have the income of your parents or the income of your friends or the income of your brother or sister, you're going to make bad decisions. And you know what? They won't be hurt. You will. Just be honest about your real earn, earning potential and um, your uh, place in life, season of life. Uh, a lot of people have a tough time doing God's will in their life because of bad debt. Um, in our life, um, like I said, I wouldn't describe us as being great with our money, but good. And everybody's life is, is different. But I, if my wife and I would have not handled our money well, we could have never done God's will in our life. I mean, back when uh, we were volunteer youth leaders, not on staff, just a volunteer youth leader, my company closed. Uh, they wanted me to move to uh, Racine, Wisconsin. And uh, I felt like I was doing God's will in the church where the Lord wanted me. And so I didn't go. And uh, we had to take a, I don't remember now, fifteen or $17,000 pay cut. Uh, and then after about three years, you know, I maybe had two-thirds of that back. And then we felt like the Lord wanted us to go into ministry. And we became an, uh, took an assistant pastor's job and <laughs> took whatever big in, in income cut that was. Um, did that. The church grew very large. You know, again, our income was getting up there again and felt like the Lord wanted us to plant Bible Baptist Church. You know what? 
uh, if we wouldn't have handled our money decently, we couldn't have done God's will in our life. I mean, understand, this is a big deal. Doing God's will in your life is a big deal. Listen, the world will tell you to live on the edge of your income potential. And what I'm telling you is, don't live anywhere near to the edge of your income potential. Don't live near the edge of your income potential because stuff happens. And if you're living next to the in, your income potential uh, with your bills and your spending and your, and your lifestyle and your overtime goes back or your company cuts back or your company closes, you know, listen, you're going to be in a rough way. Which gets us to number four. This will be everyone's favorite, Proverbs 21. We're just sitting across the table from each other. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to help you not fall into the kind of pits and traps that so many families fall into. And a, a lot of times, people from decisions they made between the ages of 18 and 25, they're hurting all their life or oftentimes 10 or 15 years. This is a huge deal. Here's number four, Proverbs 21:20. There's treasure be desire and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Here's number four, save something. Notice the wise saved something, and the foolish spent it all. Now, I've already told you, I've already confessed, I like to spend everything. That is my natural inclination. You know, you say, hey, I'd like to get this. How much money is in the bank account? You, you know, that, 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 that's the way I'm wired. And, and, and if I respond naturally, I'm going to make a lot of bad decisions. You know, if you're wise, you're going to save something. You know, I don't care what age you are. Invest some, to, some in your retirement. You know, my goal for many, many years, because I've watched people get older in the ministry and they have to stay at a church because they can't afford to not stay. My goal has been for us to be able to, whenever that day comes, to be able to make that decision because it's what the Lord wants, not because I can't afford to do anything else. And you ought to be doing the same thing. You doing God's will in your life is just as important as me doing God's will in my life. You must save something. You should have an emergency fund. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, something's got to change. You either need more income or less spending. Emergencies happen. Things break. And if you're the kind of person who always has to put that on your credit card, something's wrong. When it comes to saving something, make sure you pace yourself. I, I was uh, uh, talking to somebody a long time ago, and... Um, Basically, th this individual was uh, neglecting their family really badly, neglecting God really badly. And, you know, they had said, well, you know, I've got a, a five-year plan, and when that plan is done, then everything will be fine. And what I told them is I said, well, you need a 10-year plan that keeps your priorities right. You know, don't decide that, we need to get out of debt so badly that for the next two or three years, you ignore your family and ignore God. 
uh, take five years and, and keep God and your family in the right place. Uh, here's number five. Uh, agree on a system for prioritizing how you'll spend extra money you have. Uh, you're going to do yourself a big favor in your marriage if you stop micromanaging every dollar your spouse spends. Um, each of you, b- based on however much money that, you know, whatever works for you, depending where your income level is, you each ought to have a certain amount of money that you can spend with no questions asked. Listen, I, 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 most of the time I packed my lunch when I, when I worked a secular job. But, but if I didn't, I, I wouldn't want to have to call my wife every day and say, hey, can I eat out today? For us, it was a very simple thing. I got 60 bucks every two weeks. Uh, she was home with our kids. She got 80 bucks every two weeks. And by the way, if your wife is home uh, with the kids, she should get more money. Uh, and, and so basically what happened is, is I could spend that 60 bucks if I wanted to, 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 to buy uh, beef jerky, 50 pounds of it. I mean, I mean, I could do that. Now, yeah, you come home with beef jerky breath. It probably doesn't do any good for, for everything at home. But, you, you know, the, the, the point is, is that I could do that. No, no questions asked. Uh, I, I've got, you know... Th- who knows, thousands of dollars worth of fishing lures. I-, I got so many fishing lures that have never done anything but go from the shelf to my my tackle box. It's not even funny. And so from my wife's perspective, that is a really dumb thing to spend money on. But I love buying fishing lures. And my wife, she has all kinds of sewing stuff and uh, all this cloth. And, 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 and she goes and buys cloth, and I'm thinking to myself, why don't you just use some you got? But, but, but see, the whole point is, is that you're never going to agree on the details of what matters to you. And, and, and so you need to just give each one some kind of amount of money that works for you so that you don't have to deal with these petty arguments and disagreements that you're never going to agree on. Your children need you more than they need the stuff you buy them. I, it's sad to me that so many Christian people don't build a budget, spend their life maximizing their career and their career uh, income, and they have a neglected wife and, and, and neglected children. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Listen, the greatest legacy I leave will not be my property. It'll be whatever I've planted in the hearts and minds of my children, my grandchildren. And we say we believe that, but then we make these decisions that have no relationship to that whatsoever. Agree how to handle your extra money. And I'm almost out of time. Proverbs chapter 28. Verse 20 it says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Here's number six. Never make major financial decisions quickly. He that 
maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. You know, people that sell major ticket items, I'm talking about houses, cars, appliances, anybody, they make a living on ignorant customers and impulse buyers. <laughs> you ought, if you're making any kind of a major purchase, you need to take your time. And you need to think about it, you need to pray about it, you need to do some research, you need to know what you're doing. It is always a red flag for me when any salesman says, well, you know what, if you don't take it today, it might not be here tomorrow. That for me is automatically, I'm not buying this today. I mean, just if, as soon as that comes out of his mouth, the first thought is my mind, oh, okay, man, if the Lord can't keep it till tomorrow for me, I don't want it. But, but you, you, you know, we go through this process. It's hard to decide I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to buy a TV, and then all of a sudden we got the fever. And, 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 and just take your time. I'm out of time, so I won't comment on it, but number seven was teach your children the value of money and how to properly handle it. And the more you teach them when you have them, the less they'll have to learn the hard way than when they're an adult. Amen. Uh, you should have a piece of paper. Uh, go ahead and write any kind of question you have on it. Uh, write something on it. Uh, turn it in and uh, up here. And uh, whether you have a question or not, put a smiley face. Put, it's good to be back. You say, I thought Nicaragua would give you more tan. Uh, I can't believe you didn't lose any weight on rice and beans. Whatever. Write something on it. You're dismissed.